0: Welcome to episode three of bookmarked this week. I'll go over the book in order to live a North Korean girl's journey to freedom. This is a memoir written by young Me park. It's an incredible true story of a woman's fight for survival, freedom, and human rights. This book is a uh, powerful, it's moving and a truly unforgettable story that needs to be told. Keep in mind. It's very likely that I'll mess up, you know, pronunciations of names and cities in this book. Uh, prior to this episode, I tried to look up pronunciations of different cities, names, and common used, uh, words in Korean used in the book, just to respect the culture and the writing. But I will probably fall short in some areas here, but I just want to let the listener know this upfront and for transparency reasons. And with that, we can begin with chapter one. Chapter one, even the birds and the mice can hear you whisper. Chapter one describes your hometown of Haesung. The town is situated on the border of North Korea and China, separated by the Yalu River. Many ethnic Koreans live on the Chinese side and trading across the river has been a long-standing tradition. Park's earliest memories of Sun are of, I quote, of dark and of the cold. Her betrayal of the life in the town is one of poverty, with the thin walls of her childhood home allowing her family to hear their neighbors and even mice in the ceiling. Electricity is often cut off for months leaving the town in complete darkness at night, and in the harsh winters make it even more difficult to survive. Although Park did not grow up with the noise of machinery, she believes the lack of technology in Haeson strengthened the connections between the people. The small pleasures, such as brief periods when electricity was available, were celebrated because everything was scarce. The chapter concludes with an illustration of the extent of state surveillance in North Korea. Park's mother, upon returning from a publicly mourning death of Kim Il-sung, Uh, is told by her husband's visiting Chinese relative that their leader did not in fact die of a heart attack as reported by the North Korean state media. Even though she doesn't personally believe him, she repeats the lie to a friend and is immediately visited by the National Security Agency. After being interrogated and threatened, Park's mother learns her lessons and raises her daughters to be cautious of what they say, even when they're alone, as they're always being watched. She then says the birds and the mice can hear you whisper. Chapter 2. A Dangerous History In Chapter 2, Hyungmi dives into the story of her father, Jin-sik, through the lens of the North Korean caste system known as songbun. The system divides citizens into three main categories, or social statuses. The first is the elite class of honorary revolutionaries and peasants. The second is the basic or wavering class of people the government doesn't fully trust, And then the third and the lowest class are the hostile class, which are former landowners, capitalists, religious owners or followers, and former South Korean soldiers. A family's seongbun status dictates their affluence, and while it's very difficult to move up in the system, it's very easy to fall down the system. Jin Sik is the third son of Shangju Park, and his family enjoyed a good social status due to Shangju's service in the People's Army during the Korean War. However, in 1980, Jin-sik's eldest brother, Park Dong-il, is accused of rape and attempted murder and is eventually sent to prison. This results in the family falling out of favor with the government. And eventually, Zhang ju loses his job at Sun's administrative office. And Jin-sik, Hyun-mi's father, uh, loses his job at the city hall financial office and overall his social status plummets. Without any other options, Jin-sik joins the Workers' Party in order to prove his loyalty to the government. He possesses an entrepreneurial spirit, and instead of working a labor-intensive job, he turns into smuggling uh, as a way to survive. Trading is illegal in North Korea's uh, centrally planned economy, but Heisan has a long history of commercial exchange with with China, so black markets are, are really prevalent there. Jin Sook purchases goods, or imported goods, and sells them at a premium in length using cigarettes to bribe the police. The business is very risky, but it's a mean of survival for him and his family. Chapter 3. Swallows and Mogpies. Chapter 3 focuses on the background of Park's mother, Kim Sook Byung, including her family history and her marriage to Jin Sook. Kim Sook was raised in an environment that taught her not to question North Korean leadership and was never opposed to foreign ideas That uh, because she grew up in Kwan. Despite being a clever student with a degree in organic chemistry, she was still affected by the panic that followed Kim Il-sung's death and wondered how the earth could still continue to spin. She met Jin-sik through her brother and her parents deemed the match suitable, so they were married without a ceremony eventually. Park notes that the romance is something that has learned and is not inherent in North Korea. Chapter 4, Tears of Blood. Chapter 4 focuses on the famine that took place in the 1990s and its impact on the Park family. Initially, their living standards were you know, decently better compared to their neighbors, but due to their poor Sumban status, they were still not considered part of the elite class. However, the North Korean regime's political and economic instability caused their financial and social status to decline significantly more. In 1990, the North Korean economy suffered a collapse when Moscow withdrew its offer to export goods at a discounted rate to the country. This resulted in a widespread famine across the country and forced people to engage in illegal trading activities just to survive. To regulate trading, the government set up jong state-managed markets, and imposed heavier sanctions for trading outside of these markets. This made it difficult for Park's father to sustain his business, leading the family to struggle even more with debt. In the winter in Heeson, it became extremely harsh, and it's common for people to go without meals. Without basic necessities like running water and reliable electricity, Park's family struggled to survive. In the end, their desperation and financial hardship drove them to engage in a more risky and dangerous business. This business was smuggling precious metals from Pyongyang to Heeson on freight train number 9, which is not searched by the police as it's typically reserved for the use of Kim Jong-il, and the metals here can be then sold to smugglers who travel to China for, the, for a significant profit. Chapter 5. The Dear Leader Chapter 5 delves into this concept called doublethink, a term coined by George Allwell in his book 1984 and described by Park as the ability to hold two conflicting ideas simultaneously in one's mind. This concept is evident in the lives of North Korean citizens who consume imported consumer goods and entertainment as a form of escapism, but do not usually challenge the status quo. Chapter 5 begins with a reflection of Park's experience at elementary school, where all of the subjects are taught with a strong dose of propaganda that's reinforced the status of the Kin family as so-called gods. This narrative is further reinforced in daily life through cultural media, such as uh, documentaries and movies creating what Park refers to as emotional dictatorship. North Koreans are exposed to this indoctrination from a young age through weekly meetings with key officials and public executions to reinforce the regime's power. Access to radio and television is limited to state-sanctioned programs, and any tampering can result in imprisonment in a labor camp. However, illegal television programs, such as VCR tapes, are sold as luxury items and can actually be found their way into North Korean hands especially in border regions like Haysan. Park believes that the oppressed people seek these products as a way to escape their difficult reality. Her father's business and trade allowed them to watch Disney and Hollywood movies, giving her a small taste of freedom. Although she marveled at their lifestyles, Young never saw herself being able to actually emulate or become one of those people on those screens that she's watched. The chapter ends with a recollection of Park's uh, grandmother, who despite being very poor, helped and fed neighborhood children by eating very little herself she is revered fondly because she is knowledgeable of the world outside of north korea and had lived in south korea prior to the korean war the famine of the 1990s had her family hard and she ultimately took an overdose of sleeping pills to relieve the pain and the financial burden of her on her family the chaos caused by her grandma's death is a memory park wishes to but unfortunately is unable to forget chapter six city of dreams Chapter 6 focuses on Park's first trip to Pyongyang in 2002 and the complexities of her parents' marriage. At the turn of the century, Park's family was actually enjoying economic success due to her father's metal smuggling business in Pyongyang. However, he eventually became involved with a young woman named Won Sun, who worked as his assistant and lived with her family in an apartment that he rented a room in. Hwan Sun convinced Jin Suk that his wife was cheating on him, causing uh, Kim Suk to ask for a divorce but they eventually reconciled when her brother refused to let her keep the children. In 2002, Young Mi visited her father, in Pyongyang, for the first time and was enamored by the city. She stayed in Yuan son's apartment and overheard her trying to convince her father to divorce her mother. Despite not truly understanding their relationship, Young Mi was still just in awe of the city lights and the experiences of the city. She loved visiting the zoo and trying fizzy drinks for the first time. Eventually on the train ride home, she saw the contrast of the city's beauty with the surrounding poverty. When Jing Sook returned to Pyongyang, he received a call about Fuan's son, who had gotten into trouble with the police for the side business she was running with another smuggler. Kim Sook, again Young Mi's mother, warned him to stay away from this woman, but ultimately he ignored her advice. Chapter 7. The Darkest Nights The story of Chapter 7 occurs in October of 2002 the details of the arrest of Wan sun and her accomplice of their smuggling operation. A captured copper smuggler from Pyongyang provided information to the authorities, leading to an ambush at Won-sun's apartment. Park's father went to check up on her and eventually was also taken into custody, ending up in a Chung sung labor camp for his, uh, for his crimes, although Won-sun's sentence was lighter than his, and Park accepts it as a matter of survival like her father. Park's father eventually went to go check in for her, but he was also eventually taken into uh, custody and ended up in a labor camp for criminals. In November, Park's mother goes to Pingyang to help her husband, leaving her two young daughters behind in Ye Sun for the month of December. Young Mi and her sister were forced to drop out of school and face the hardship of the winter all by themselves. They were able to survive thanks to their kind neighbor, Kim Jong-ae, and the support of Young Mi's best friend, Yong In January, Park's mother returned briefly and told the girls about their father's torture in prison. Despite their pleas, she had to leave again to go help him. At first, Jin Suk was held at Camp Number 11, a labor camp for petty criminals in Pyongyang. While their mother was spared from serving time, their family's reputation was severely damaged by their father's imprisonment. Eventually, their own relatives and neighbors shunned and teased them, and without their father's income, Park's mother was forced to sell their house in hae and move the family to her hometown in Kowan. And that's the end of Chapter 7. Chapter 8. A Song for Joseon After the arrest of her father, Youngmi and her sister moved in with their uncle, Min-sik, who already has two children of his own and struggles to make ends meet. To ease the financial burden, Youngmi's aunt takes her to a remote village in the countryside, Their young me must help with manual labor around the house, but in exchange, she's given food to eat. For her, filling her stomach was the main priority after being so hungry for so long during the winter months. In 2004, the family receives horrible news that their father, Jin Suk Park, has been sentenced to 10 years in a high-level prison camp after a secret trial. This is devastating news as it's well known that people are not expected to survive in these gulags and prison camps, and those sent there are considered no longer human. young mi eventually realizes there's a real possibility of her never being able to see her father again. young mis mother eventually calls for her to return to Kyulwon. Her and her sister return to school and learn to forage for food in the forest. At the age of 11, Young mi is given some money to start her own business. She starts by selling persimmons, a fruit found in Korea, and she picked up from a local market. And this is where she discovers that trading gave her control over the government. This was truly her first sense of the word freedom. And the end of chapter 8. Chapter 9. Zhang Madang Generation The beginning of chapter 9 takes place in 2005, when Youngmi's mother is briefly arrested for moving to Kilwan without the government's approval. Residency is assigned based on marriage, and her assigned district was Heisun. Moving without the approval of the government or uh, the state, is strictly prohibited. In the fall of 2005, three years after his imprisonment, Hyun-mi's father unexpectedly returns to kyo His health has severely declined that he was able to bribe the prison guard to visit his family. Although they are reunited, the family is still struggling financially due to their father's criminal status. If his health eventually improves, he will be sent back to the labor camp, but if it remains poor, he can't support his family. Mi's parents decide to file for a divorce so her mother and sisters can move to Kowon. if Jin-sik is re-imprisoned. As Mi reaches adolescence, she becomes curious about romance and begins a brief relationship with jung Julin, a young man from a well-connected family. However, she fears the relationship cannot continue due to her family's reputation. Chapter 10 The Lights of China Chapter 10 opens with the Lunar New Year celebration at Mi's uncle's house in 2007. The event is unpleasant for Young-mi's father as he's treated more like a servant than a family member. As she heads home, Young-mi begins to envy those living on the Chinese side of the Yalu River. The same year, her family becomes desperate due to their poverty and starts to seek ways to escape North Korea as the propaganda about the country's improving economy no longer convinces them. During this time, Young-mi falls ill and is sent to a hospital where she discovers that medical care is only theoretically covered by the state, but in reality the doctors expect patients to cover their salaries. Her parents borrow money for her surgery, but they simply cannot afford a nurse. Unfortunately, Young Mi's sister, Yun Mi, decides to leave for China without her and her family on March 25th, and this is where Chapter 10 ends. Chapter 11, Missing In Chapter 11, Young Mi is missing and presumably escaped to China with her friend. Young Mi and her mother search for Yun Mi's Uh, leads them to a broker who hence they might be able to find her in china the broker acts like they know where her sister went but when the family asks her you know what happened to my little sister where did she go they get she gets very cold towards the family and acts like she doesn't know anything she then turns the family away and tells them not to return the family is left heartbroken after young Mi leaves a note saying that she escaped to china desperate to find her sister young Mi and her mother visit the broker and are convinced to cross the yalu river into china that same night the broker instructs them to lie about their age and hide their relationship as mother and daughter young Ming being told to say that she's 16 and her mother posing as her aunt despite their concerns the mother and daughter follow the broker's instructions without questioning their motives and escape north korea chapter 12 the other side of darkness upon reaching the other side of the shore Young-mi and her mother discovered that their fate in China would be far from what they had hoped for. A bald Korean broker took advantage of Young-mi's mother when she refused to let him touch her daughter, leading to a horrific sexual act. The broker and his Korean wife then informed them that they would be sold as brides. Although Young-mi and her mother resisted, they ultimately decided to stay in China rather than face the prospect of potentially returning to North Korea as defectors. The broker, Feng takes Young Mi and her mother to Shangshun, where he treats them to a luxurious meal. He informs them that another man will soon arrive and match them with their prospective husbands. However, when Young Mi's mother protests and reveals Young Mi's true age, Xing Feng des- decides to keep her until she's older. Young Mi's mother is eventually bought by Hung Wei, who is the head of a bride trafficking network, and she's eventually married and sent to a Chinese farmer. She's expected to perform manual labor while being treated in a humane uh, way and fashion. Zifeng Feng confiscates the cell phone he had given uh, Youngmi, causing her to lose contact with her mother for several months during this whole ordeal. Chapter 13, A Deal with the Devil Three days after Youngmi's mother is sold off, Zifeng Feng tries to sleep with Youngmi. Again, keep in mind she's only 13 at this point. She fights back and refuses to let him take advantage of her. Frustrated, Sifeng gets rid of Youngmi by selling her as a bride to Wei, saying that she's 16 years old just so he can get a higher price. Wei tries to persuade her um, to sleep with him, but uh, she fights back every time as well. Being Han Chinese, Wei does not speak fluent Korean, and Wei does not know Chinese, but eventually Wei takes her to a North Korean girl that he previously had sold so she can translate for them. While there, Young Mi begs the Korean girl they're meeting to help her escape from Hong Wei, and the Korean girl accepts to hide her. However, Young Mi realizes that she is soon tricked and that the Korean girl only helped her so she could sell her back to the Hyong Wei for a price. With this connection to the underworld, Hong Wei finds Young Mi a week later and helps her back to his apartment. As she's coming back to the apartment, Young Mi decides that she's gonna kill herself and live in this uh, torturous environment where there seems to be no hope and she soon grabs a knife or, or a blade edge and holds it to her throat and tells young Wei that she's gonna end it all. Hong Wei sees the determination in this young girl and offers her a deal. The deal is if she sleeps with him and becomes his bride, he will help her bring her mother and father to China. Yongwei accepts the deal uh, and sleeps with him. She treats it as a business transaction and nothing more. Um, as this happens or after it happens, she eventually throws up uh, every night she's with him until she eventually becomes another to it. Again, this is a 13-year-old girl. A couple of months later, Youngmi is able to speak Chinese pretty well and is acting as a translator for the newly trafficked North Korean women in Hongwei's business. Her first transaction is to reunite uh, with her mother and buy her back. Youngmi becomes insensitive to the act of trafficking in girls like herself. Eventually, Youngmi learns to live with Hongwei who, upon learning that she's only 13, begins treating her more gently. Chapter 14 A Birthday Gift On August 14, 2007, Wei's men were able to find Youngmi's father at his apartment in Heisun. He's then given a phone to communicate with his wife and daughter, and upon learning that his health is no good, Youngmi makes a promise to aid him in his escape and take care of him when they are eventually reunited in China. In the meantime, Young Mi begins adjusting to her new surroundings, while her mother stays at home to perform household tasks. Young Mi travels to different locations with other illegal brides to help Young Wei's business. Her responsibility is to translate and encourage the brides to comply if they don't want to go back to North Korea. On Young Mi's 14th birthday, October 4th, 2007, she finally reunites with her father after being apart for six months. Upon his arrival at a modern hospital in China. He's diagnosed with advanced colon cancer and unfortunately is only given a few months to live. Chapter 15, Dust and Bones When Mi is faced with the task of informing her father that his limited time is left, she learns about an interrogation and torture her family members faced after her father defected from North Korea. Despite her father's wish to return to North Korea to avoid becoming a financial burden, Mi refuses to send them back. 2008, with the Beijing Olympics and increasing global attention to human rights, the Chinese government begins to crack down on bride trafficking. As a result, Hyung-wei, who is Young-mi and her family uh, were working for, face financial difficulties, and he eventually takes his anger out on Young-mi. She struggles to balance her responsibilities in helping him with his business and taking care of her sick father. With their limited financial resources, the family is able to take one last family photo together. When Young-mi's father finally passes away, his eyes remain open and according to North Korean tradition signifying that he has unfinished business in the world. The family believes his unfinished business is being able to find their missing sister. To avoid detection from authorities, hyung secretly cremates her father's body and Hyung mi and her mother bury his ashes in a hidden location. Chapter 16. Kidnapped. Hyung gway begins to gamble away his money as his business worsens. Hyung-mi finds her monthly stipend reduced so significantly that she cannot continue to go without another source of income. Now, she is faced with the prospect of having to sell her mother once again to survive. They ultimately decide to sell her mother again to another Chinese farmer. When Young mi presents Young Wei with the money, he ends up gambling it all away. Hyung-mi feels miserable and tries to search for a way out of this miserable life. Hyung-mi asks Kong Hyung Wei's friend for a fake ID so she can try to find a new line of work. She's eventually led to a man named Hyung, who is instantly taken a liking to her and locks her in his apartment. He attempts to sexually assault her, um, but she's able to fight him off. Hong Wei finds out that she's taken and threatens to engage in an all-out war with Hyung. Young Mi is able to trick Hyung to believe that she will abandon Hong Wei if she's given the opportunity to see her mother again. As soon as Hyung allows her to leave, Young Mi contacts Hong Wei and reunites with her mother. The farmers who acquired Youngmi's mother are now thinking about sending her back due to a heightened police surveillance. She has resumed, her mother has resumed communication with a friend she had met who is employed in Shengyang, a different city, and can assist them in finding new work. With this new information, Hyungmi convinces Hyung Wei to let them go and fend for themselves. Hyung Wei agrees as he's been having reoccurring nightmares about Youngmi's father, and he believes it's because he's being haunted by his ghost. Young Mi returns the jewelry that Hyongui bought for her and departs with her mother to Shengyang. Chapter 17. Like Bread from the Sky. Upon reaching Shenyang, Young Mi and her mother reunite with their friend, who shares about her work as an adult chatroom industry, where she interacts with men and keeps them engaged in online meetings and sometimes involves in sexual acts. With limited options for work, Young Mi decides to try to do the same and earn money and purchase a fake ID. However, after their friend buys her own chat room franchise, she offers Youngmi and her mother a better salary so they no longer have to live in constant fear. Although they have a stable income, Youngmi feels that they are not truly free, as they still face the risk of deportation every single day. Everything changes as soon as they meet Haesut, a North Korean woman who tells them about a Christian ministry in Qingdao who helps refugees escape to South Korea or Mongolia. Young Mi convinces her mother to take the risk and escape to South Korea as it would grant them citizenship and ultimately what they've been looking for since they've escaped North Korea, which is freedom. With the help of one of Young Mi's regular online clients, a South Korean man who offers to financially support their escape, Young Mi and her mother leave for Jingdao to begin their journey towards freedom. Chapter 18 Following the Stars. The South Korean pastor who is in charge of helping North Korean refugees escape through Mongolia is aided by a Korean woman and a Chinese Christian man. However, due to the Chinese government's stance on organized religion, Park actually never learned their true identities. As Young Youngmi and her mother wait their turn to escape, they're both taught about Jesus Christ, which is new to them as they are raised as atheists in North Korea society. When Young Youngmi and her mother are finally ready to leave, the pastor calls for a final prayer meeting where everyone is asked to confess their sins and repent. When Youngmi does not reveal her time as a sex worker, the pastor insists she confess publicly or he will not allow them to safely travel uh, across the border. Although the pastor eventually dropped the matter, Youngmi left the meeting uh, and the prayer feeling really ashamed and dirty that the pastor would push so hard that she reveals such awful things that happened to them publicly to the rest of the group. The journey across the freezing Gobi Desert at night is dangerous and requires the utmost caution. Before leaving... Young calls Hongwei Wei to let him know their plans and receives his well wishes. The Christian missionary guides the group to the Chinese side of the border and they pray for their safety, which moves Young Mi to tears. Despite the harsh conditions, Young Mi and the group are successfully found by the Mongolian patrol and arrive in Mongolia on March 4, 2008, which happens to be Young Mi's father's birthday. Chapter 19 The Freedom Birds Park and her group are apprehended by Mongolian police, and at first, she thinks that they have been saved. However, the officers threaten to send them back to China. And if they're sent back to China, they'll be sent to Chinese authorities and then ultimately sent to North Korea. Young Mi and her mother have hidden blades in their clothes and are ready to take their own lives if they're forced to return to North Korea. Seeing the determination in Young Mi and her mother, the Mongolian police decide they'll let the entire group pass. They eventually arrive at a military base. Uh, in Mongolia awaiting their journey to South Korea. They are housed and fed in a group but treated like criminals instead of refugees. Young Mi later discovers that her group was one of the last to leave successfully, as the missionary group was closed down and the guides were arrested by Chinese authorities. On April 20, 2009, Young Mi and her mother meet with a representative from South Korea who arranges for their departure. Upon landing, she is amazed by the technology on display at the Seoul International Airport. They are eventually greeted by an agent in the national intelligence service and subjected to searches questions and medical examinations after they are cleared and deemed uh, to be legitimate refugees and not north korean spies they are then sent to a quarantine facility with other defectors two weeks later mi and her mother are called in for questioning and asked about their experiences in china when asked about their plans in south korea Mi responds that she wants to attend university The officer interviewing her expresses doubt that her ability to succeed in a competitive environment like south korea which really discourages her by the end of june hyung-mi and her mother transferred to a resettlement center where they learn about life in south korea the culture how to interact with others and how to fit in with the culture chapter 20 dreams and nightmares at the resettlement center Young mi is exposed to new ideas and ways of living including learning South Korean National Anthem and her life. The living conditions are cramped as the center is only designed to house 200 people, but now is overpopulated with 600 refugees. Young Mi realizes that the impoverished conditions depicted in North Korean propaganda is not the reality in democracies. Despite her eagerness to learn, Young Mi struggles with self-introduction, as she was never taught to think critically. She begins to grasp the value of independence and freedom, but also the price she's paid for it. In the resettlement center, Mi is warned about the competitiveness of South Korean schools and t- is told that she is not going to be able to catch up or perform well in the education system. When topics about her time in China or experiences with the trafficking arise, Mi pretends not to understand them. She suffers from nightmares about her traumatic experiences, is afraid of letting others find out about her past. The trauma she experienced has left her with a depression and post-traumatic stress, making it difficult for her to move forward. After completing her time at the resettlement center, Youngmi and her mother are relocated to Asan, and given a small stipend to start their new life. Chapter 21 A Hungry Mind Chapter 21 marks the beginning of Mi's journey in South Korea. Her first experience in the country was a negative one. When she visited the internet cafe, the owner realized she was a foreigner due to her accent and prevented her from using the facility. This upset her so much that she ran back home and cried. Her mother encouraged her to return to school in September, but instead of enrolling in a private school for defectors, Youngmi decided to attend a public middle school in her area to fit in with South Korean society. The school administrator questioned her ability to keep up with the workload that she would have to undertake, and her classmates gossiped about her, causing Youngmi to eventually give up attending the middle school, becoming anxious about leaving her apartment and socializing with others. However, she found determination again when she remembered her father's wishes for her to excel at school, in the teaching, she learned at the Resettlement Center that hard work is rewarded in democracies. In November 2009 2009, Youngmi enrolled at the Heavenly Dream School, a Christian boarding school for North Koreans. There, she devoted herself to studying, earning the nickname, the Learning Machine. During the same month, Youngmi's mother went to China to search for their sister, Yunmi. And although she was unsuccessful, she was able to convince their friend to defect to South Korea. Upon her mother's return, Youngmi dropped out of school and moved back home where she found solace in reading books and expanding her knowledge. She sought to immerse herself in South Korean culture, losing her North Korean accent, dressing like locals, and consuming as much South Korean media as possible. In April, 2011, she earned her high school education in GED. During this time, her mother was seeing a new man, but the relationship eventually became abusive. Seeing this on and on, Youngmi decided that she wanted to do something to help protect her mother. And with this in mind, she enrolled in the Dongguk University to become part of the police force. Chapter 22 Now on my way to meet you Chapter 22 marks another important milestone in Mi's life as she is then admitted into the criminal justice program of Dongguk University. Before starting the school year, she received a phone call from a television show producer who heard about her story and wanted her to appear on this program. She initially declined out of fear of becoming a public figure, but the producer ultimately convinced her, uh, since the show had a large viewership and might help find her sister. With the support of her mother, Young Mi agreed to participate, and the show aired in January 2012. But alas, there is still no news of her missing sister. Young Mi quickly immersed herself in her studies at the university and spent most of her time at the library. Despite her new life and soul, she still struggled with feelings of not belonging and wondered if she truly belonged to this new culture. A few months later, after the first TV appearance, Mi was approached by the producer of a popular entertainment show called Now On My Way To Meet You. She was offered the opportunity to join the panel, which consisted of North Korean defectors. While her primary motivation was to find her sister, she also learned a lot of the realities of North Korea through the stories of other panelists. Despite her involvement in the show, Mi was still unable to locate her sister. Chapter 23, Amazing Grace in the following months, it became clear to Youngmi's professors and classmates that she is not South Korean. After they recognized her from appearing on the TV show, Now My Way to Meet You, uh, she became um, pretty famous in the university. Mi grapples with her self-image and wishes to blend in with South Korean culture, but she now realizes it's impossible to hide her North Korean background. The physical and military training required for her and the, uh, the law enforcement major proved too much for her, causing her to lose weight and struggle to keep up. As a result, she switches her major to a police administration. In the summer of 2013, Youngmi takes a break from school and work to do volunteer work with a Christian mission group from Texas called Youth with a Mission. She feels she has been too self-centered in her focus and her own life and soul and wants to help others. During her travels to the United States for training, she sees beyond the negative propaganda she was taught about the country, the United States, and begins to heal emotionally. Through helping others, she learns to be kinder to herself and discovers the power of sharing her story to help others. In November of 2013, Mi hears news about her sister for the first time in seven years. She immediately flies back to South Korea and is reunited with her sister at the National Intelligence Center. This reunion is the fulfillment of her father's wishes, and she knows that he can finally rest in peace now. Chapter 24, Homecoming in the new year of 2014, Youngmi and her mother celebrate with a newfound sense of joy and excitement as they have recently reunited with their sister. Youngmi is determined to continue her education and sets a resolution to help improve her English proficiency. She employs 10 tutors and even listens to English audiobooks as she sleeps. Following a successful speech about North Korea at a Canadian Maple International School, Young Mi is invited to represent her country at the One Young World Summit in Dublin. Here she speaks about human trafficking in China is interviewed by various european media outlets but chooses to omit her personal story determined to share her experiences young Mi decides to write her memoir she returns to seoul to discuss the matter with her mother and sister who offer their full support in 2015 the north korean regime releases a video in which her family in north korea denounces her causing her great pain however young Mi remains hopeful that they will be able to be one day free Hyung mis mother travels back to China in the spring of 2015 to retrieve her father's ashes, which they bring back to South Korea and reunites with her family. The chapter closes by discussing their family's dream of hopefully one day reuniting her father's ashes with their hometown of hei in a reunified Korea. Moving on now to the key takeaways that I had from this book. Um, the first big one that came to me was practicing gratefulness. Uh, for me... Uh, As someone who was adopted from South Korea, it's very humbling to read what life is currently like in a place so close to where I was born. It truly makes me feel honestly eternally grateful for the way I was raised in a country where I can be free and I know what that truly means. I know I'll never be able to truly understand even a small fraction of what young me or her family went through, but I think it's still important to know the acts of evil that exist in all corners of this world and to try to empathize with what's going on with different parts of uh, the world and individuals as much as possible. I think my second big key takeaway is life in North Korea. Um, the book provides a really vivid and personal account of life in North Korea, including discussing at great detail the poverty, food shortages... Uh, Lack of electricity, lack of basic freedoms uh, experienced by ordinary people, and it's eerily similar to the book 1984 by George Orwell, which I recommend to everyone or anyone listening. And it it relates a lot with the consistent surveillance by the state, lack of the basic necessities to live, and really highlights the consequences of what happens to people when they try to escape, imprisonment, uh, potential death, uh, re-education centers just, uh, and, uh, the book 1984 and this memoir really go hand in hand together my third key takeaway um, from this book is the price of freedom I feel like before I read this book I assumed uh, for Young Me and her family and for all defectors at least their life would be a lot easier once they defected and got away from North Korea but I mean, man, I was completely wrong and completely naive about this. Escaping North Korea is a start of a new journey, uh, and depending on what country you're escaping to, uh, it's a potential darkness uh, and horrors and a new hell awaiting you. It seems very common for North Korean effectors, especially the women, to be taken advantage of by Chinese uh, on the northern border as slaves and prostitutes. So in theory, you've escaped one hell in North Korea just to be put in another version of hell. Um, and so let's say you eventually make it to South Korea where you are in citizenship. And it seems there as well that North Korean defectors are typically, they have a hard time transitioning into society. Again, it's this price of freedom. Not all South Koreans, of course, uh, you know, are like this, but many seem to have not much faith in the defectors, especially the women, um, as they don't think they'll do you know much with their new chance of freedom. It seems like there's this stereotype that most of them uh, will just continue to use themselves as prostitutes, or even just not make much of their life and uh, new opportunities. I feel it's really similar to a, a rehabilitated, you know, prisoner making it out of prison, just to be shunned by society again, except it's even worse, I think, because it's not like North Koreans chose to be put in a society where they wanted to be starved to death, lack information and always have to kind of walk on these eggshells to get by. Uh, yeah, the price of freedom is very is very strange. My last key takeaway is the idea of hope and resilience. Despite the numerous challenges and hardships her and her family faced, including growing up in poverty, uh, hunger, malnutrition, witnessing and being part of human uh, rights abuses, young Mi never lost hope it seems and remained determined to just absolutely survive throughout her journey she displayed incredible resilience refusing to give up despite all of the obstacles she faced and she risked her life to escape from north korea and journey through china facing all the journeys and uh, all the dangers along the way uh and it's quite incredible I think her story is a true testament to human spirit and its ability to endure even in the face of adversity. Uh, it really shows that even in the darkest circumstances of, of whatever we face, there's always hope and the possibility of a better future. You just have to try, get a little lucky, and honestly you know, hope for the best. I mean, in conclusion, this was one of the best books I've ever read. It's uh, hard hitting, it's emotional. I teared up reading uh, several parts of it, especially talking about her grandmother. And it's honestly hard to believe uh, things like this happen in the world, but uh, it's just an important reminder that the world is not this safe, amazing place that many people are really fortunate to grow up in. There's a lot of horrific things going on in the world and a lot of things people go through. I think it's a must read for anyone who's interested in you know one human rights in uh, north korean politics life in north korea and just the power of the human spirit and resilience overall great book i'd recommend to anyone and um this this is likely a book like 1984 that i'll i'll go back and reread uh, every few years or so it's it's that powerful and with that that is the end of episode three.